Faith in the Word from Daniel chapter 3. This is a chapter if you're familiar with your Bibles or if you spent any time in children's church as a kid or Sunday school classes, you've probably heard the story of the three Hebrew men, the young men that were in the fiery furnace. And all of a sudden there's a fourth man in there and there's been countless sermons preached on this, stories told on this, songs sung on this. And so as I was getting this together, I thought, Lord, how do you take a text that's so well known and give people something different, something new? And I know there's nothing new under the sun. But I hope maybe today that, uh, that I can offer you something, maybe a different angle with this today that will help you, encourage you, convict you, whatever is needed. I read a story uh, a while back, and it made me really pause and think about things, and I think it goes good with today's message. If you have kids, or have had kids that grow up now, grandkids, whatever, I want you to think about something for a minute. Imagine when they were still little, that God came and gave you a script of their entire life. Everything that would ever happen in their life, God gave you a script. And then He gave you an eraser. And He said, you have five minutes to read through this script and erase anything that you want to erase from your child's life. Can you imagine how frantically we would be going through that? Looking for things that we would like to spare our children from enduring. If I had to guess, you wouldn't erase the good things. You would seek out the bad. Pretty sure that everybody's mind would go to that. And as you went through that, imagine that you saw that as they got older, they were going to have some type of a disease. Would you, would you erase that? Imagine if you saw that they were going to get in a bad relationship. Would you erase that if they were going to go to school and get a degree and enter into a job field only to find that it would fall apart and they'd lose everything? Would you erase that? As you went through and you read as fast as you could all the bad circumstances and you've got that eraser in your hand and you're trying to take out all the bad. But let me ask you a question to really think about. If you erased every bad circumstance from your child's life or even your own life, would that ultimately lead you to live and become a better person? Would it ultimately allow you to become who God wants you to be? Because all through the Bible we find that it is through our trials, through, through adversity, it's through persecution that God is doing His greatest work in our life. And yet as believers, as human beings... We seek comfort. We seek the path of least resistance. We all want to go where it's easy. We all want to take the place and go the direction where it's not so difficult. And sometimes life seems to be overly difficult. And we think, God, is this ever going to get better? Are things ever going to improve? And it's like a cloud is over my head all the time. Maybe you're there today. Maybe you've come in this place and you feel that way. But in James chapter 1, verses 2 and 4, he tells us that trials have a purpose. God is doing something in your trial, through your trial. James 1, 2 and 4, he says, count it all joy. A lot of you check out right there. You say, there is no way on earth, if you knew what I was going through, that you could possibly say that I'm supposed to count it all joy when I meet with trials of various kinds. That doesn't mean that we put on a smile and fake it. A lot of you do that every Sunday, by the way. You come in here and pretend that life is okay when we know it's not because you're human. And we know that there are people struggling and you've come to this place to get spiritual help. But yet you're so concerned about what somebody would think, what somebody would do, 
what they might say if they found out that you were struggling with this sin or your marriage was on the rocks or whatever it is that you pretend to be okay and you leave here with the same burden you came in with week after week after week. And that's like going to the hospital when you're sick and sitting in a waiting room and when they call your name, you leave. It makes no sense. You are here today to get help from the only one that can help you. And when He calls, are you going to walk out that door and stay where you're at? Or are you going to trust Him? Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet with trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness or patience. But let patience have its full effect or its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete. That means mature. That doesn't mean that you're perfect in the sense that you never have any problems and you never sin. Perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Spiritual maturity and wisdom and understanding comes when you trust God in the trials and you find that He is faithful every time to bring you through. Maybe some of you can't say amen this morning, but I sure can just after the last week or two. I've once again been reminded how faithful God is. Was my circumstance pleasant? No. Did I want to find myself in a hospital room after a great service on Sunday morning to be in ER and in the hospital on Sunday night? Was that what I planned? No. Was God with me in the church service that morning? Yes. Was He with me in the hospital room that evening? Yes. God is for us who can be against us. I'm glad today that we don't leave Him here when we go, that He lives within us and that we can take Him and trust Him through the darkest of nights, He is with us. And He will always be with us. But, I shared that story with you to say this. If God gave you that script, and He gave you that eraser, and you frantically went through that thing as fast as you could, trying to spare your child of every bad thing that would ever happen, I think we view God the same way. And I think we expect that God ought to get out His eraser and remove every bad thing from our life. That if God is who He says He is, then why does He let these bad things happen? And why doesn't He just get out His eraser and take out all that bad stuff so that I can live a comfortable, easy life? Or maybe worse yet, maybe you're here today and you say, you know what, I don't think God has an eraser at all. I don't think He, he is able to, or maybe He's not even there. Maybe that's where you have settled in today. That if there's a God... Why is all this bad stuff happening? And because there's bad stuff happening, there must not be a God. You've come to that conclusion today. And what makes this worse is that we have false teachers all over the place that are coming along and saying, oh, God's got an eraser and He'll always erase all the bad stuff. And all you need to do is declare with your mouth blessings and prosperity and God will give you money in the bank. He'll give you a new car in your driveway. He will take care of every need that you have. Just rub the lamp and the genie will come out and grant you your wishes. And that is the mentality that many of these prosperity preachers give to their listeners and we think, why on earth are so many people deceived? Why on earth do so many people flock to those churches? Why is it so hard to get a faithful church to get a hundred people in the doors? And these folks have thousands and tens of thousands because of that message. Everybody is looking for something to latch on to. And it's much easier to latch on to. You can have all your hopes and dreams and desires fulfilled 
than it is to hear I was a wretch and I had nothing to offer and I was lost and undone and I had to surrender my life to Jesus Christ and let Him take over. We don't want to do that. We don't want to give up our life to somebody else. We want our life on our terms in our way. And that's why that message of false prosperity is so powerful today, guys. Because it's something that people all want to be true. Now, can God bless? Absolutely. does every day. Can God provide? Yes. Can God deliver? Yes. But He in no way, shape, or form, and you won't find it in any verse of Scripture, says that in every circumstance, in every situation, He is accountable to you. That He is going to do what you want when you want it. Otherwise, you're God. And that's not the case. And so, we see these false teachers saying this, and this message makes it so difficult for faithful churches to preach the true Gospel and get people to accept that. Because men love darkness rather than the light. And they want to stay in that path of least resistance. In Revelation 2.10 though, to the church at Philadelphia, John writes this, Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. John was awful mistaken if the prosperity gospel is true. He said they're going to suffer, they're going to go into prison, they're going to be tested by tribulation, and they will lose their lives. Did John not get the message to speak and declare favor? All they had to do was say, Lord, bless me. I'll sow a seed to the local church of $500 if you'll bless me and take care of me. Did John not know that? Of course he did. He was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write the true words of God. The problem is that so many today are deceived into a message that's unbiblical. And they're looking at God to get out His eraser and take care of all their problems, and He never promised to do that. And as a result, you're upset with God, you've given up on God, because you've expected Him to do things that He never promised that He would do. Matter of fact, the prosperity message is actually the message that Satan gives throughout the Bible. Didn't he go to Eve and said, oh no, no, God didn't really say that. He didn't say you surely shall die if you eat of this tree. He just knows that if you eat, your eyes will be open and you will be like God's. See, that's the appeal. You can be God. You can do it your way. You can have authority and control over your life. Don't listen to what He said. He is just wanting you to not have a good time. You can be like God's, knowing good from evil. And He tempted them. And they listened to that voice and they followed. Jesus in the wilderness, same thing. Jesus, just call to the Father. You're hungry. You haven't eaten 40 days. Command these rocks to turn into bread. Fill yourself. Don't go hungry. God wants you prosperous. He wants you to be abundant. All those words that we hear these folks use today. He wants to bless you. Turn those rocks into bread and eat. And be full. Be satisfied. Be comfortable. Look out over the kingdoms of the world. All these can be yours if 
you'll just worship me. That's still what he wants today. Because in rejecting God and making yourself God, you're actually worshiping the enemy. Because that's what he wants. He wants you to live for yourself all the days of your life until you die lost. And then he's got you forever. He's got you forever. Your choices today will echo in eternity. Have you ever thought about that? The things that you do today will go well beyond today. What are you doing with your life? I was reading the, the biography of Adoniram Judson, one of the great missionaries of years gone by. When England and Burma were going through a conflict, he was there for a long period of time. His wife had just given birth to a little girl. They, they had no means of income. They were starving. She was trying to get him food in the jail. She was trying to take care of herself and the little girl. He finally found favor with one of the guards who had let him out. He would take his little girl and walk miles into Burma, into the city, and find pregnant Burmese women that were nursing their children and give his daughter to them so that she could nurse a little bit and be sustained. Did Adoniram Judson not know that all he had to do was ask God to bless him with prosperity and everything would have been okay? Did he not get that message either? Over and over and over again, guys, throughout the history of the church, throughout the pages of Scripture, we see godly men and women suffering for their faith. We see godly men and women enduring persecution from the world. And we want so bad today to be loved by the world and to look like the world that we have completely rejected the truth of the Word of God and created a God in our own image. A God that's easy to worship. A God that erases all our problems and does everything we ask Him to do. And when that message fails, we don't know what to do. But you were trusting in a promise and trusting in a God that was never real. Today I want to point you to the one true God and the truth of Scripture. I want you to see that God can deliver you. God can bring you through. But He doesn't have to. And even if He does... There is a purpose to what you're going through. Don't be so worried about getting out of the trial that you miss the lesson in the trial. Romans 8.18 says, Paul says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. The sufferings of this life, guys, are nothing compared to an eternity, an eternity of glory that we have with Jesus Christ. The things that He has prepared for us, no eye has seen nor ear heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man. How glorious that's going to be. How wonderful that's going to be. But what do you do in your life when things go from bad to worse? How do you respond? What is your attitude towards that? What is my attitude towards that? I'll tell you this, it depends on what you believe. What you really believe will either cause you to have faith to stand, or if you build on the wrong foundation, it will all crumble when things get difficult. It certainly will. I read this text for our confession for a reason. 1 Peter 4.12 Beloved, do not be surprised. Don't be caught off guard, guys. If you're a believer today and somebody's told you that once you came to Jesus, things will get a lot easier, they lied to you. They lied to you. As plain as I can put it. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening. Let's look today at our text. I want to move through this in, in a big section. I won't read it all, obviously, because I'm going to look at the whole chapter quickly. So in verses 1-7, through seven, we're kind of setting the scene. 
we're aware that King Nebuchadnezzar is the most powerful man on earth, that he has uh, been, been given by God this kingdom of Babylon, that he had just had a dream and Daniel had revealed that dream to him. And now this is probably, some scholars say, 10, 15 years after that event. So these guys are now in their early 30s. Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are in their early 30s. And King Nebuchadnezzar makes this huge idol, an image of gold. Most likely it was, it was to his god Nebo that they worshipped in Babylon. They had all kinds of gods. And that was probably what this statue was. And at the end of the day, what this really is, is a challenge to Daniel's God. Yes, he had heard from Daniel who the one true God was. God had revealed that dream. And and Nebuchadnezzar said, boy, what is a God like this God that can do that? And yet now, a few years removed, he is challenging God. Saying, I'm going to set up this statue to worship and we'll see who the one true God is. And so that's kind of where we're at. And then we get down into verses 8 through 15. And, and not only did he make this statue for him, but he made it for all the people. And he said, at certain times during the day, we're going to play music. And when that music plays, everyone in the kingdom is to fall on their face before the, the idol and worship. And worship the image. And so the music plays, and the people respond, except for three. Three that we're told of. There may have been more, but we're going to focus on three today. And these three don't bow. And the Chaldeans, who were the religious folks, the religious leaders of Babylon, they come to Nebuchadnezzar. You see that in verse 8. They come and they say, in verse 9 rather, they declare to the king, O king, live forever You have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, and the bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. Verse 12, There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. They are basically throwing these guys under the bus. Or throwing them in the fire, literally. Right? And so Nebuchadnezzar is furious. He hears this, and he says, Bring those three to me at once. Now remember, these guys are already in a bad situation. They're 1,500 miles from home. They've been taken into captivity from Jerusalem to Babylon. They are being trained to be the king's men. He's trying to indoctrinate them. He's trying to teach them to leave behind their religion and embrace this religion of Babylon. They're already in a bad situation. And now it's about to get a whole lot worse. And nowhere in this text do you see them decreeing and declaring their destiny. But we do see them having a faith that endures the fire. I want you to look at this with me. It's going to get costly for them. And Nebuchadnezzar, he decides to be generous. He doesn't just toss them in the, fly, in the fire as soon as they show up. He says, I'll tell you what. You obviously were confused. You obviously were not thinking correctly. We're going to play the music again. And all you have to do is fall down on your face and worship. And everything will be fine. Easy, right? Just a little compromise, guys. 
Just worship. Even if you don't really mean it in your heart. Just do it. Just appease me. And everything will be okay. And so many Christians today, the enemy gives them that proposition. It's okay if you have Jesus. But you don't have to be a fanatic. You don't have to be all crazy. Good grief, you don't have to go to church when the doors are open. I mean, just go on Christmas and Easter, that's good enough. You don't have to get your Bible out and read it every single day. I mean, do a devotional sometimes and that's enough. Pray when you need something. You don't have to pray without ceasing. God didn't mean that. I mean, over and over and over we look and the devil tempts and we say, yeah, that's a lot easier. I can do that. I still have Jesus in my heart, right? I filled out the card in Bible school says I got saved. My Bible's got my name on it. Pastor baptized me. I must be right with God. And so we think everything's okay and we can live as we want to. And he says, you can just fall down and worship and you'll live. They take a stand for what's right. And I want to say this. If they would have fell down on their face and done what Nebuchadnezzar asked, they would have not went into the fiery furnace. But they would have still died that day. When Adam and Eve disobeyed God in the garden, they didn't fall over dead the day that they ate of the tree physically. But they died spiritually. And when you make compromises that take God out of the equation and set your comfort and security above Him, you've made a decision that will cost you spiritually. Perhaps your soul. And these men said, we will not bow to this image. Nebuchadnezzar, look with me at verses 16-18. through 18. And here's my first point. I promise I'll go quick. Genuine faith rests in God. Real faith can rest in God. Listen to what they say to Nebuchadnezzar after he makes this offer. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Listen to how they pray. If this be so, going into the fiery furnace, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And He will deliver us out of your hand, O King. They had faith. They knew who God was. This wasn't a blanket statement that said, I'm I'm naming it and claiming it in Jesus' name. You're going to fall over dead from a heart attack, Nebuchadnezzar. The fire is going to go out and we are going to be fine. They didn't decree what God was going to do. They simply said, we know who God is and we know He's able and He will bring us through this. But then look what they say in verse 18. But if not. Were they bipolar? Did they have faith in verse 17 and none in verse 18? No. The same faith that made the declaration in verse 17 continues into verse 18. They just know the one that they believed in. But if not, be it known to you, O King, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. They said God is more than able But if He chooses to let us go through this trial, He'll bring us through, dead or alive, into His kingdom. And we're not going to compromise. We're not going to go the way of the world. We're not going the way the flesh would want us to go. We're going the way God wants us to go. 
And if you'll do that, you can trust. Give Him praise this morning. I'm just glad you guys woke up before I got finished. God is faithful. And your faith can rest in Him. Let me tell you this. We don't speak our destiny. We surrender our destiny. There's a difference. You don't speak and declare what God is going to do. You surrender your life to Him and know that He will do what is right. And if you will follow Him, all through the Bible He says things like, take up, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Me. There's nowhere in the Bible where He's following us. Because we don't know where we're going. We all like sheep have gone astray. He is the shepherd and He leads the sheep. And too many of us want to have a hold of the driver's steering wheel instead of taking our rightful place in the back and let Him drive. God is in control and genuine faith can rest in Him. You're not defeated if God doesn't do what you asked. You're not defeated if God doesn't do what you think He should have done. But you will be awfully discouraged if you always expect Him to and it doesn't happen. You can trust and pray with assurance and confidence. If you need healing, pray for healing and believe that God can do it. If you need delivered, pray for deliverance and know that God can do it. But understand that He is not obligated to do that. And if you're going to be healed, you might be healed here or you'll be healed in glory. But you will get your healing. But He is not an obligation to go by your timetable and do it in your way. But God is able and you can rest in Him. He chose to spare me. If I would have fell over dead while I was jumping around acting like a fool with this thing in my leg, I would have woke up in glory. But either way, God didn't fail me one bit. And He never has. Because I got a little bit of an inconvenience in my leg, I wasn't going to fall apart and say, well, woe is me. God, you know i got things I need to do. I'm too busy for this. My leg's bothering me. Why are you letting me go through this over and over and over again? I can say that God is good. This is not what I wanted. But God is doing something through it. And I've been reminded for the last two weeks of how good He is to me. I've got a song on my lips and a praise in my heart. And I'm going to testify if every other Baptist wants to sit and look ugly and mad. I'm going to give Him glory. If you want to come in here on Sunday and look like your driver's license picture, that's up to you. But I ain't going to do it. I am going to be excited about what God's done in my life. And I'm going to let people know I'm excited. And I'm not putting on a show. I'm not. I mean it from the bottom of my heart. God is too good to sit on our hands and not give Him praise when at 1 o'clock you're going to run around like a bunch of fools and cheer on the Bengals who's probably going to let you down again. God ain't going to let you down. Brian, give me an amen on that. You can rest in God. Genuine faith will rest in God. Number two, genuine faith receives God. Notice how I said that. Genuine faith receives God. You may receive from God as a result of having God, but real faith is content with just having God. If you come to Jesus Christ and He saves your miserable soul from hell and never did another thing for you, He's given you more than you and I ever deserved. He's given us so much just in that that we never need to ask for anything else. But many times, God not only gives us eternal life, but He gives us abundant life. He gives us so many good things. He gives us a home. He gives us food. He gives us a church. He gives us family. He's so good to us in so many other ways. Look at what happens in verses 24 and 25. 
They throw these men into the fire furnace. They bind them and throw them in. Then King, in verse 24, then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and he rose up in haste. And he said, didn't we cast three men bound into the fire? And I answered and said to him, true, O king. And he answered and said, I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods or the son of God. He said, we threw them in there bound up, three of them, in the fire heated seven times hotter. This was what was called a smelting furnace. It had a big lid on the top and they pulled the lid back. The men pulled the lid back and they died. It was so hot. And there was little holes in the side and they would take bellows and pump air into these things to make that furnace hotter. And he had them heated up as hot as they could get it and he threw them in there. And he looked in and expected to see a pile of ashes. And he saw four men unbound walking and the one in the midst was the Son of God Himself. We call that a Christophany. It's a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. This was Jesus Himself in the fiery furnace with His people. They received God. God was with them. And as a result, they were unbound. They were able to walk in the fire and not even smell like smoke when they came out. Friends, when you receive God, supernatural things will take place in your life that nobody can explain. I'm living proof today, medically, that God can do things that the doctors and nurses say shouldn't happen. There's people in this room that have testimonies of things where doctors wrote them off and people wrote them off and they're here today serving God because God wasn't finished with them yet. He wasn't finished yet. And if you're here today, He's not finished with you yet. But you need to get serious with Him. You need to stop asking Him for a bunch of stuff and just ask Him for Himself, for His presence in your life. If you seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, all the other things will be added unto you. But if not, God is still good. Because you have Him. And if you have Him, you have all you need. Last one, I'm done. Genuine faith reveals God. Look at what happens in verses 28-30. through 30. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He was not a believer, but this certainly opened his eyes. It certainly got him thinking. He might not have trusted in the one true God yet, but he knew that Nabu was not the one true God now. He knew that. Because never, he's never seen Nabu do anything like what he just experienced. So even though he might not have received it personally, it made a difference. He says, I make a decree in verse 29 that any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their house is laid in ruins for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Big change from what we saw in the opening verses, wasn't it? They revealed God to this pagan king by their faith. And when you live for God, the world may laugh at you, people may mock you, supposed friends may walk out on you, but you will make a difference in the kingdom of God by your witness and testimony. We are called to go into all the world and preach the gospel. That means you've got to tell people with your mouth. But don't undo with your life what you say with your lips. I'm going to say that again. Don't undo with your life 
what you say with your lips. If you go out there and preach Jesus Christ and live like the devil, don't be surprised if nobody takes you serious. If you tell people that you shouldn't do this and you shouldn't do that and you got beer in your fridge and you're shacked up with your boyfriend and you're doing all kinds of things wrong and then you go out and invite people to church and witness to them and they don't want to come, don't be surprised. The answer is, you need to let your life line up with your testimony and start living for Him. And start doing the things that He says to do. Not what you want to do. And then you will see the power of God on your life. Then you will see things start to change and happen. I want to say three things about genuine faith. I'm just going to read them to you. I'm not going to talk about them. Genuine faith follows. Regardless of your feelings. If you're waiting on your feelings to line up with faith, you're never going to ever move for God. There will always be an excuse. There will always be a reason. There will always be something to keep you from exercising your faith. Faith will move depending on your feelings. Number two, it trusts regardless of the circumstance. I don't care how bad, how doom and gloom things around you are. God has not changed. Your circumstances will not affect true faith. And number three, it obeys regardless of the consequences. They were going into fire but by golly, they were standing for God up until their last breath. You may face some difficult circumstances if you live for Jesus, but you will stand before Him one day and hear, well done, thy good and faithful servant. And that's worth all the persecution and loss and suffering that you'll face in His world. He'll wipe away every tear if you'll trust Him with that. Jesus Himself says these words. I'm done. Uh, Shane, you can come. Matthew 11, 28 and 30. Come to Me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Say that this morning, church. I will give you rest. Take My yoke upon you and learn from Me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find... Now listen. Rest for what? For your souls. For My yoke is easy and My burden light. My soul will find rest. That's important because let me read to you a different verse. 1 Corinthians 4, 11-13. This is the Apostle Paul. To the present hour, we both hunger and thirst, and we are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless, and we labor working with our own hands. We're being reviled and we bless. We are being persecuted and we endure. We're being defamed and we entreat. We have been made the filth of the world, the offscouring of all things until now. Why was Paul enduring such suffering when Jesus said, if you'll come, you'll have rest? Because He said you'll have rest in your soul. He didn't say He would change all the circumstances and make life easy for you. The Apostle Paul suffered like no man ever suffered except Jesus for the cause of Christ. But he said over and over, in my sufferings I have contentment. I have a peace that passes all understanding. I have joy that's unspeakable and full of glory. How could a man that was homeless and beaten and mocked and ultimately killed be able to stand there and say, it is well with my soul? Because he knew Jesus. And Jesus was with him. And the more he lived for Jesus and the harder things got, the more joy he had, the more peace he had, the more assurance he had. Some of you today are lacking all of those things because you won't trust God with anything. 
All you came to Him and said, Save me, Lord, but you've lived for yourself ever since. And today, you have got to make a decision that you are going to trust Him no matter how you feel, no matter what your circumstances are, no matter what the consequences are. I'm going to trust Him today to work in my life and to give me Him and His presence. And that's all I need. You can do anything. Yes, thank you, Jesus. Amen. You can do anything that God asks of you if you're letting Him lead. I can't preach worth a dime if He didn't help me. I couldn't do anything for Him if He didn't help me. And I may stumble and struggle in my flesh, but He gets glory, Shane. He gets glory. When we stand up here and sing, we may not have the best voices on earth, but we're doing it for Him. And He gets glory. And that's why we're up here. That's why I'm up here. So today as we close, we're going to give a hymn of invitation. And I'm asking you today, will you trust Jesus with your soul? If you're lost today, and you say, I don't know for sure if I died tonight where I would go. You can know today for sure if you'll place your faith in Christ and trust His finished work on your behalf. He will save you. He will forgive you. And He will give you eternal life. That's... His promise. You just got to accept it by faith. You got to trust Him. And if you're saved and you're running from Him and you're not living for Him and there's all kinds of sin in your life, it is time to get right with God. Because sooner or later, your sin is going to find you out. You're not going to keep playing with fire and not get burned eventually. You better get right today and say, God, I'm done with this mess. I'm going to serve You. Whatever your need, if He's calling you to service, calling you to join this church, calling you to follow Him in baptism, you know what you need to do. And as we give this invitation, I pray that you'll do it. Let's, let's pray together. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for Your Spirit. I pray now that You would convict that there would just be a heaviness that would fall on people until they...